0: The following is a hoop bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good afternoon, folks. I know I'm a little bit later than usual on this Friday, but guess what? It's All-Star break. What's the rush at this point? Nah, I kid. No good reason for me to be running a few minutes late, but if ever there were a day where it didn't make a huge bit of difference, this would be the one. And if you may recall, last year, and even sometimes the year before that, the live show on Fridays was ported into a podcast, and that didn't come up until 1 in the afternoon either, Pacific time. So by all accounts, we're actually running on time to the last two years, but very late for this year. So for that, I apologize. And I say to you, hello, welcome to the All-Star break. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan vespers. We still have plenty of things to talk about. And the main things are, we can review, but I've, I've tweaked it a little bit here with the All-Star break in mind, and All-Star festivities. I know that it's cool and hip and trendy to make fun of all the all-star stuff and complain about how it's not what it, meh, it's not fun enough but you know what i think it's fun i am unabashedly pro all-star festivities and i don't care i am the opposite of, of a hipster and i'm okay with that i like will smith <laughs> i like all-star festivities and will smith Anyway, um, at Dan Bespers on Twitter, if you want to give me a follow over there. I lost track of the direction I wanted to go with things for a second. Uh, and this is, of course, a HoopBall presentation, hoop-ball.com. If you do one thing I tell you to on today's podcast, it is to follow at Hoopball Fantasy. At Hoopball Fantasy, That's the Twitter feed where we get all of our HoopBall news out to you guys in the general public. By the way, shout out to the gambling guys as well. They have a podcast out all about betting on All-Star festivities. I'm going to be doing some betting stuff later on the show. don't want to give away the uh, what you got coming up here. But theirs is quite extensive. NHL wagering, college basketball wagering as well. I believe uh, Devin and Ira have the weekend episode. That podcast, of course, is called Today in Sports Betting. And shout out to their hard work and you guys for basically doing what I've asked of you and checking out at Gaming. Our newest Twitter feed, our newest division here at Hoopball, up over 700 followers already. Very cool that that's happened in less than a month, so please do check that out. They are doling out fat information. Their episode was a mailbag episode as well. You actually need to have some people listening to get one of those out there. Congratulations to those guys on all their hard work. For our weekend Review portion of today's podcast, I thought I'd take a little bit of a different tack since, you know, just two games yesterday. It's an abridged week by all accounts. We don't have a weekend game chunk to preview on today's show. And we're also left with maybe more questions than answered given the fact that not only did we have a post-deadline abbreviated week, but we also had some nebulous injuries with even more nebulous actual recovery dates. So with that in mind, just from a logic standpoint of how to attack all of this stuff, what I'd like to do is start our week in review by going down a list of what I believe are six key injuries that either happened this most recent week or we got interesting updates on them this most recent week, and then what that fallout has done to our ability to actually analyze the stuff going on around it. We'll start with Paul George, which to me is probably the easiest one. And that's perhaps why I wanted to start with Paul George, because he aggravated his hamstring again. Played 15 minutes on Thursday night. I mean, for me recording right now, I'd say last night, but you guys could obviously listen to this anytime over the weekend. Played 15 minutes on Thursday night in their uh, double overtime game against the Celtics and didn't come back after halftime, left with four points, a rebound, an assist, and a block. And for George, this season of it's basically been a disaster at this point, continues. He's number 28 on a per-game basis, which, you know, that's fine, but he's only played in 34 ball games to this point. So by all accounts, not only has he been below where you drafted him, he's also missed a bunch of games on top of that, so that knocks his value even farther down the charts. Yes, it's great when he's in there and you're getting you know, mid third round value out of a guy that you probably drafted in the third round. But overall, he's actually number 85 this year because of all of the games missed. Certainly the guys up at the top of the list are going to be ones that have been good and played in ball games. But you look at other guys that are were drafted near Paul George, probably in that 20 range would be my guess. Trey Young is number 13, even in 9-cat, because he's played in 50 games. Every time he's been hurt, he's come back seemingly in one ballgame. LaMarcus Aldridge, probably drafted two rounds later. He's number 14. Chris Paul is number 6. He was probably drafted in the 30s. Jason Tatum is 17. Donovan Mitchell, guy I like to pick on a lot. 25 because he's played in 53 games this year. Bradley Beal, he's played in 46 games despite all everybody crowing about his injury issues. What does it mean for the Clippers? Not a great deal. I mean, we saw big Kawhi the last time Paul George was out and we saw more Lou Williams and we'll probably get a little extra Marcus Morris in the short term. But I wanted to use this as a leaping point to discuss one of the one of my draft strategies. That every year someone tries to talk me out of, and every year I slam my heel into the sand and say, no, I'll get talked out of a lot of stupid stuff going into NBA fantasy draft season. You may recall that in July of last year, July of 2019, I said, I don't think I'm drafting Kawhi Leonard any higher than 15. And as the offseason rolled along, and we got... By all accounts, pretty good reports on his health. They were saying all the right things, which I didn't believe at face value. I didn't think he was going to play in back-to-backs, but they basically said he's healthy. And so then you look at the numbers, and you're like, all right, well, you know, if he only misses the back-to-back games, you're looking at about 69, 70 ball games this year. And that's a guy that, with his per-game pedigree being top six, generally— top six guy playing 69 or 70 games, he's still going to be well inside the first round overall. So I kind of talked myself into Kawhi Leonard, who, by the way, is number seven, despite playing in only 42 games to this point. So that has actually worked itself out. But that's not the point. The point was, he wasn't hurt going into the season. And thanks to many of you guys, listeners and other pros, you guys sort of talked to me off the wait until 15 for Kawhi Leonard-Ledge, and I moved more in the 10 to 12 range for him and it worked out so far but the one thing I I mean I get talked into a lot of stuff on draft day I get talked into a lot of players that either I do or don't believe in that I, I said I was gonna do this and I wasn't and then I said I wasn't gonna do it and I did but the one thing that I never move away from I never draft an injured player in my top four rounds ever I hate it. It sometimes works out that they come back and they dominate and you got a great deal on a guy who came into the season hurt. The most obvious example of that would be Russell Westbrook a couple years ago when he had, I think it was a wrist thing or a hand thing going into the season, and it was like, oh, Russ, who knows? His timeline is is ill-defined right now. And then he played like four games into the season and was totally fine the rest of the year. So he dropped in value, probably were able to get him, you know, more towards the, I don't, I actually don't remember where he went that year, second round, third round, instead of first round, something like that. And then he performed admirably. And so you got a good deal. But I would say the vast majority of the time, and I don't have the exact numbers to back this up. So a little bit of it is feel, but the majority of the time, meaning more than 50%, maybe it's only 51%. I don't know, but I think it's higher than that. Guys that start the year, with an ill-defined timetable coming back from injury, it almost never works out. You have a better opportunity to do it if you're in a head-to-head league because you just try to stay afloat for a few weeks at the beginning of the year. Hopefully, that's all you're dealing with. And then you have this guy that became a value, and you know, if your goal in head-to-head is not necessarily to get a first-round buy, you're just like, yeah, look, if I make the playoffs, I'm the fourth seed, fifth seed, or whatever— If I have a guy like, in the example this year, would be Paul George. If I get him at, you know, 23, end of the second round, or 26, beginning of the third round, something like that, and I get a guy who's performing at a first-round turn level, or whatever the hope was for him playing alongside Kawhi Leonard, and that guy is rolling come playoff time, well, fine. You know, I'll I'll wait the month at the beginning of the year... And I'll take the hit and, you know, I'll hover at 500 or a little worse and maybe I'll be the 8th seed when he comes back. But then everything is golden. I'll cruise into the 4th, 5th seed before the season's over and my team will be great in the playoffs. I get it. It's very alluring in head-to-head. It's not alluring at all to me in Roto. I'll explain why I actually dislike it for both formats, but I'll explain them one by one. This, again, is... Just a reset, this is why, and, and Paul George is just the most recent example of this. There have been countless other ones over the last three or four seasons that that I could pull up, and I'm sure you could as well, of why we hate drafting injured players. For Roto, my big issue there is, it's a very important roster spot. The guys that you're drafting early are guys you're expecting to actually play for most of the season getting a minor boost in value from a guy, but him only playing 60 games, that hurts. Yeah, it doesn't matter when they miss their 20 ball games, whether it's the beginning or the end of the season, that's an advantage of Roto, but I still don't want to draft a guy that high that, has, that already is playing with a stacked deck the wrong way, against a stacked deck, effectively. Let's think of it this way, just from a math perspective. I said, hey, There are 82 games in an NBA season. Would you draft a guy that I told you couldn't possibly play in more than 72 games? A best-case scenario is your injured player comes back 10 games into the season and never misses another game the rest of the way. Comes back at 100%. No warm-ups, no nothing. Just rolling. You'd say, "Uh, Dan, that sounds like a tough proposition. Right. Everybody misses a game. Everybody misses a game. At this point, we're in an era where everybody misses a game. Who hasn't right now? Nikola Jokic? Has he missed a game yet? Everybody misses a game. So if you're saying to me that this guy I like, it doesn't matter what fantasy player it is. This year it was George. If you're telling me this guy I'm about to draft can only get to 72 games if he plays in every single game that he's eligible Odds are he's going to miss X percent of those 72 games. Last year, most of the NBA, I think the average number of games played was like 73, 74. Most players are missing 8 to 8.5 games out of 82. About 10%. So now I'm telling you, someone can play in 72 games. If they miss 10%, the league average, they're getting to 65 games. That's rough. And they're starting hurt. So in all likelihood, they're going to come back when they're not 100%. And there's, I would say, a larger chance to sustain an additional injury. We see this all the time. Guys get hurt. They favor something. They come back too soon. At a much smaller scale. I'm sure we can all think of this a situation in our own lives that's paralleled this. I hurt my toe in December. And then I hurt my calf walking funny to avoid putting pressure on that toe. And then I re-hurt the toe because my calf hurt. You can't just sit still, right? We're adults. We have to do stuff. And that's just me walking around like a dope everyday adventures. I'm not an athlete. Farthest thing from it. So for Roto, I hate the idea of a guy who's capped like that. Who's capped. For head-to-head, I know you're like, Dan... Sure, maybe play 65 games, but I just want him to play those 65 and have him for the playoffs. Yeah, but it creates a ripple effect at the beginning of the year. If you're sitting on an injured player for the first three or four weeks of the season, or more, first of all, they often don't come back in time on their initial timetable. Not only are you falling behind, but you're also hamstrung with the other players on your team. Right, Because you've got one guy giving you zeros, which means you probably need to stream a spot so that you don't get waxed on a week-to-week basis. You probably end up dropping someone that you regret because you just couldn't afford to wait on them. Right, You can't really have a, a healthy stash at that point. And what if someone else on your team that wasn't injured to start the year gets injured? That always happens. Someone else gets hurt. Now you're dealing with two instead of one exponentially bigger issues for your team. So now you're sitting way behind the eight ball. causes you... The one that jumps out in my mind is two years ago when I drafted Rob Covington, and he shot like 28% the first three weeks of the year. And my team, I had a couple of injured guys that I drafted because I went against my rule. And I thought, well, you know, I got these two injured guys that I know are going to be top 50 dudes when they come back. I can't drop them. Covington, who I really like, and I think he'll be good, but he's like number 230 right now because he couldn't throw a basketball into a 10-foot-wide hoop, I have to drop him. Sure enough, somebody else picked him up. He was top 60 the rest of the way. Kicked myself the entire damn season for that, and the reason that happened is because I drafted an injured player. If that other guy was healthy, I could have just put Covington on my bench. But I needed that. I needed a productive spot. I needed the guys I was starting to be productive, and he wasn't in that moment. My bench was getting chewed up by these injured dudes. So that's my my Paul George rant to start the podcast, and that chewed up more time than I initially intended. Let's get into the injuries that have uh, immediate fantasy ramifications. Damian Lillard was the most recent one who hurt his groin in the late game on Wednesday. We did get a report on Thursday, though, that he's only expected to miss one to two weeks. Conspiracy theorists, my favorite people on NBA Twitter, surmising that Damien faked the injury to get Devin Booker into the all-star game which would be a hell of a story I don't know that I fully believe it I want to believe it shout out to my guy you know who you are for texting me uh, the link to those those tweets and I don't I don't think it's true I, I I wish it was but we did also get a really nice report one to two weeks is pretty minimal uh, I mean that' Means conceivably he could play out of the break. That would be huge. Dame's been incredible this year. He's number six on a per game basis this year, which is above where he normally is. He's number three by totals because he's played in 54 games leading into the break and had that unbelievable stretch. Shooting 46% from the field this year. He's just, he, he's improved again somehow on a team that has desperately needed him to do so because. You know We've seen Portland, their, their struggles so far this season. Not out of it yet, which is also a good sign for Dame. Uh, Fantasy-wise, there, there isn't a whole lot you do here. Obviously, the, the good prognosis is nice for him. You probably see more scoring for all of the guys around him. Carmelo, CJ McCollum, Hassan Whiteside. Probably see more Anthony Simons. He's back from his concussion, and he'll probably have a game or two of value if Dame even misses any time. That, to me, was the second easiest one to discuss. Let's get into the harder ones. These are these are the tougher injuries, I thought, uh, leading into the All-Star break. Carl anthony Towns. Wrist. Timeline undetermined. I don't like that. My feelings on Cat overall is that I think he'll play again this season. I don't think this is shutdown time. You know, they brought his buddy into town. D'Angelo Russell's there. I really think those two guys want to play together this season before everything comes apart. Really believe that. So I think he'll be back. Which means whatever you do here has to be probably on the, let's call it two to three weeks. Let's say he misses two to three weeks. That, that's my best guess right now. So am I picking up Nas Reed? Probably not. Probably not. There's There's a lot of upside there, but... To me, that upside is capped by the fact that I think Cat does come back relatively soon. Am I picking up Wancho Hernan Gomez? Probably not. Because, again, you guys know my feelings on his fantasy game. A lot of points, a lot of rebounds. There, there's an advantage to that, but in Roto, I don't know that he's going to go high enough to be the kind of fill-in that I'm looking for. Same deal with Nas. And in head-to-head, I think his value gets mostly extinguished before your head-to-head playoffs start because of Cat coming back. And finally, James Johnson who had a really interesting game the other night. Five points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks, and a three-pointer. He is, believe it or not, the guy in that group that I would be most likely to add as kind of the veteran to keep everything from coming apart at the seams. To do a little bit of everything, big fantasy upside, body can handle 30 minutes if they wanted to give it to him. Played some center. Yeah, I know. And, you know, the the three steals, three blocks is one of the things that was lacking for him in Miami. So, obviously, limited sample size, but it gives me a little bit of of positivity that maybe some of that stuff that was holding him back, whether it was the, the sports hernia or just being out of shape or being sort of mentally fatigued with whatever was going on with the heat, he's out from under that now. He's on a bad team, and he's looking to go prove himself and get paid again. whenever that may be. So I'm actually most inclined to grab James Johnson. I think he could actually have value even after Cat comes back because his value isn't tied up in actually taking any shots, which is certainly the case for Wancho. Nas Reed, I think his role dries up incredibly fast when Cat comes back, and it seems like they're a little bit hesitant to give him maximum minutes right now anyway. Rashawn Holmes next on the injury list. We did get that update earlier this week. We've already talked about it a bit. I had a long rant on the Wednesday show about what to do with him. I still strongly suggest you find a way to hold him. Too many times, I'm still seeing it. It's like it's like some of you guys aren't listening to the podcast. Uh, please tell people on Twitter, on my behalf, if they ask me about Rashawn Holmes, to please listen to the Wednesday podcast or, hell, listen to this one. Don't drop Rashawn Holmes. Don't do it. Find a way to keep him. There's a weird thing going on with him where maybe it's because he only scored 13 points a game. Maybe that's why. Maybe because he and, and Jonathan Isaac are the only two guys inside the top 25 this year that were averaging less than 15 points a game that people were just like, meh about Rashawn Holmes. I should treat him like a guy who only scores 13 points a game. That just means that he's slightly below average in scoring. 8.5 rebounds, 1 steal, 1.4 blocks, massive positive impact field goal percent guy, super low turnovers, and a good foul shooter now. He's very good. He's good to very good in 6 out of 9 categories. But the ones he's not, points, threes, and assists, are probably the things that people look at the most. Maybe not assists. Certainly points. Points. The reason Jonathan Isaac, I think, was getting more love was because of the 2.4 blocks. You need, like, one stat that just jumps out and grabs you by the throat. Holmes didn't really have that. His one that does that is field goal percent, which people, besides me, I guess, don't really pay any attention to. One of the best field goal percent players in the league. You need to treat him like the top 25 asset he is. We have no idea if Marvin Bagley's playing at any point this year. Yeah, we don't know if Rashawn Holmes is coming back in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, but he's a guy that can legitimately win you categories. Field goal percent, he can win you. He can win you a category. Think about that. He can have a week where he just shoots like 20 for 24. That's colossal without hurting you in free throw percent, like most of the other big men who shoot that high from the field. He can get you 10 blocks in a week. He can get you five steals in a week. These are not inconsequential things. People are like, ah, well, I'm in a head-to-head league, so percentages fluctuate. Sure, they fluctuate, but if you have a guy who's going to shoot 16 out of 20 in a week or, you know, 12 for 18 over two games or whatever it happens to be, it fluctuates an awful lot less. So please, when you're figuring out what to do with him, treat him like the top 25 asset he is. Please. Kevin Love, Achilles soreness. I don't know if that was just all-star break-itis going on in Cleveland. I'm willing to believe that it was, but I'm also skeptical because this team has nothing to play for. They couldn't move him at the deadline. They have a guy in Larry Nance who I assume they'd like to be playing a little bit here and kind of see what he can do, perhaps alongside Andre Drummond. Get him in the mix a little bit more. There's no reason to play all four centers. We shall see. Here's here's what I make of this whole thing because it has, to me, I actually would have liked to have seen Kevin Love play in that game before the All-Star break because I really want to know what the hell is going to go on with their four center lineup. But we didn't get that info. Instead, we got a jumbo game out of Larry Nance Jr. So you're holding on to Nance just to see what the hell's going to happen here. We have no choice. You have to hold through the all-star break. You need to find out, because if, if they're going to give Nance a role, you better freaking have him on your fantasy team, because he is damn good when he's playing. I mean, real good. He's still outside of the top 100 for the season, but who cares? Over the last month, he's number 51. 51 over a month. 14-8, and eight, three assists, a steal, half a block, one three-pointer on 59% shooting and only one turnover. It's been terrific over the last month. And better re- more recently than that, even. Outside of that one game where they played all four centers. And that's the issue here. That's the rub. Kevin Porter Jr. is the other name to watch on that team. Uh, I find it hard to believe he can carve out enough fantasy value unless they do shut down Kevin Love. There's just sort of too many people in front of him in the pecking order, but he's looking pretty good. He seems like a guy maybe you could squat on for the future. Uh, Has that kind of shooting guard stat set, which is, to me, it's tougher to to stay inside the top 100 when it's all about points, threes, and getting a handful of steals every now and again. So a little bit lower on his short-term outlook, but certainly a guy to keep an eye on. And finally... The last injured player I wanted to discuss on today's show is Thomas Bryant, who, honestly, I have no idea what's going on with him or with the Washington Wizards in general. That's a team that we're just kind of feeling it out, and I've largely gone to the let someone else deal with this nonsense situation. I think he'll be back, though. I don't know what kind of minutes they're going to give him. Makes him a tough guy to own. I'm not ballsy enough to buy low on Bryant, but if you have him, you should hold him, and if he's out there, you should pick him up because when he's right... He's good at both percentages, and as a big man who can score the bucket at a good clip and hit free throws at a good clip, it's easy. It's so easy, actually, to have top 100 value if you're a big man who has good percentages in both, because field goal percentage is going to come to you. You're right under the rim. You'll get a block or two. That's a hard category to get. Rebounds, that's fun. Points, that's fun. Life just gets easy when you're a big man who can hit his free throws and his field goals. Most of those guys have fantasy value. They have the minutes, which, you know, eventually I think he will. So, no, I'm not racing out to pick up Jan Mahimi. And I'm a little bit bullish, or uh, excuse me, I'm a little bit bearish, I should say, on Mo Wagner, who is very good in limited minutes, but I'm kind of worried his minutes are going to stay pretty damn limited. Worth a look, worth a look, but I don't. I think he's going to be on and off of fantasy rosters for teams the rest of the way. I also have a list of 10 players that are not really related to injuries that I wanted to discuss, and we'll move through those at a slightly quicker clip. I thought the injuries were the biggest news of this most recent week. Those players are Marcus Morris, to start things off. It seems like he might actually hang around near the edge of the top 100 with the Clippers, maybe like 115-ish, so don't drop. There's a role for him there. He played 42 minutes in their double overtime game, at 10-8 and eight with two blocks and two three-pointers. That's a pretty good line, actually. Had five fouls. He's going to go tough guy mode, and they're going to play him at center from time to time, which is going to help with rebounding with blocks. He's not going to shoot that often, not with this team. He'll be behind Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and uh, when healthy, Paul George in the pecking order. But that's fine. I mean, I know a lot of his value in New York was tied up in the three balls and scoring. I think his value is going to be moved a little bit sideways with the Clippers. He'll get more rebounding, probably more defensive stats. The team just has a different identity and his role is different. But I don't think he's a drop, at least not yet. I don't even know why I had to put Daniel Tice back on this list, but people keep asking if they should be picking him up. He had fouled out in 24 minutes of Boston's double overtime game, where this would have been a whopper. Five out of nine shooting, hit both of his free throws, 12 points, five boards, a steal, two blocks. He's a defensive stat magnet. Just scoops him up like they're going out of style. Great field goal percent guy. He's at 55% for the year. He's number 84, by the way, on the season now. 70 over the last month. That includes the game where he got hurt. To me, he's a top 75 center the rest of the way. I almost see no reason why that wouldn't happen. I'm not worried about the Time Lord taking his minutes. They love his game. They love his discipline. They love his ability to guard multiple spots, to chase guys out to the perimeter if need be. And his rebounding has come along. His rebounding's been better. He's at seven over the last month, as opposed to six for the season. So that's trending up as well. And even on the year, he's averaging .7 steals and 1.4 blocks. I mean, guys that are getting you more than two combined in those departments, they need to be on fantasy teams. They just need to be. I don't even know why I have to talk about this guy anymore. Uh, Nerland's Noel, I put on the list because he's been slumping. There's no way around that. This is one of our favorites, and he's in a funk right now. Last two games have been particularly horrible. Last three have all been pretty darn bad. The one before that was fine. He looked like Nerlens. If I had to guess, he's running out of gas. I think he's playing hurt. I know that there's a Steven Adams getting healthy element to this whole thing. But if you look at his previous five games before his most recent three, his minutes were not that much higher in those five games. He had a 21-minute performance and a win at Sacramento where he had four steals and a block, two steals and a block in the next one, a block and then one after that, two steals, two blocks. And then he has one block and no steals over his last 3 ball games. The minutes have been very low in their last 2 games. I personally think he's going through something. I don't know if it's an injury or an illness or just all-star break needed. I would buy on Nerlens Noel and I'm guessing the people that have him are contemplating dropping him anyway. So flip some interesting waiver name out there and see if you can go scoop him up. He'll help you a lot in steals and blocks down the stretch. Another big man, by the way, who's pretty good in both percentages categories. How about that? I guess I've got a type. Not quite the same type, but not that far off as Thon Maker, who I wanted to talk about on today's podcast. Thon, who's number 357 on the year, (laughs) is number 106 over the last week. In 28 and a half minutes a game, he's shooting 58%. 14 and 6 with .8 steals, 1.5 blocks, and 1.33 pointers. That's probably a best-case scenario for him. I think you'll probably get about a block and a half a ball game if he really is going to play 25 to 30 minutes a game, and that's useful for a lot of teams, some of mine included. I have lots of teams where I need guys to block shots and not do a whole lot else. I don't think he's going to be a guy that wins you a league, but I just wanted to put it out there that, you know, top 110, win 15, 120 is actually very attainable for him because he can block shots. Jeremy Lamb, another name I wanted to put on the list that's getting dropped in a lot of places, not my damn leagues because all you jerks listen to this podcast. Uh, he did get dropped in one, and I picked him up. He's going to play about 25 to 27 minutes per game with Oladipo Healthy, and guess what? That's enough. The fact that he was playing close to 30 this year was never going to be sustainable. So, you know, yeah, he was playing 30 minutes a game, and he was a top 65 fantasy asset. But you dial that down by four minutes, it doesn't knock him completely out of fantasy relevance. Also of note, Indiana's super disjointed right now. They're a discombobulated team as they're trying to figure out how to integrate Victor Oladipo, and it's gone poorly. They lost six games in a row before beating a head-in-the-clouds Milwaukee team that didn't have Giannis going into the All-Star break. They're trying to figure out how the hell to compete with moving all these pieces around. I mean, this is a team that had settled in nicely. But let's remember, Jeremy Lamb only averaged 24 minutes a game two seasons ago in Charlotte, and we basically said, oh, you know, he's emerging. Decent field goal percent, very good free throw shooter, who's getting you about a steal if he's going to play 25 minutes or a little bit more than that. He'll get you a little less than half a block. He'll get you about four rebounds. And he's going to do it with almost no turnovers. He's a nine-category guy who's not going to blow anything to pieces in head-to-head format. So I get that there's some of you that are going to be like, ah, it's boring as hell. He's going to be a top 100 guy, would be my guess. He was number 106 in Charlotte two years ago when he was playing 24 and a half minutes. Put an extra minute and a half on that name. Probably puts him in that 95 range. So please, if you want to drop him, drop him in leagues where I'm playing with you so I can pick him up. Top 95 is a guy that needs to be on 12 team rosters. He's not, yeah, maybe he comes in a little shy of that because of the the sort of goofball nature of how that team is operating right now, but, I mean, 13-6, a steal, a block, two three-pointers, and generally he'll make his free throws? I'll, hell yeah, I'll take that. I think he gets better, too, as roles get more clearly defined on this team. Speaking of the Charlotte Hornets and the hole left behind by Jeremy Lamb, Malik Monk has been playing oddly well lately. I am lower on his fantasy prospects because of what his game generally is. Now, he's scoring like a banshee lately. 54% shooting, 88 at the free throw line. These are not numbers that are going to keep up long term. This dude shot 36, 39, and then 44% this year. And it's fair to say that his field goal percent could be trending up but 54%, nah. Nah. He's a good foul shooter. So he has that in common with Jeremy Lamb. But where he comes up shy is that, you know, he has four steals over his last two games, but he's still only averaging, I think he only has 26 for the entire season in about 21 minutes a game. So steals are low, blocks are low, rebounds are low, assists are fine. I mean, he's a guard. He's going to pass the ball every once in a while, but not great. He's really at this point scoring and some 3 balls and very little else. That to me there's just not much upside even though he's taken a ton of shots. That's actually to me that's actually more room to hurt your team than to help because at some point he's going to hit a cold spell where monk goes like 6 for 18 for four games in a row and just blows up your spot. If he keeps this going the rest of the year, I'll take that L, but I just I don't think he can do the other stuff besides scoring. Unless Charlotte just totally clears the runway. But it seems like there are enough other interesting young guys on that team that they're just there isn't going to be that much more opportunity. Marvin Williams is gone. Uh, the big men don't really impact what Malik Monk is doing. And then all the other guards are young dudes. Terry Rozier is young. Devontae Graham is young. Dwayne Bacon is young. I don't see where there's an opening besides what he has right now, which is suddenly he's playing 30 minutes a game. How does, it get much, how does he do much more than that? I, I, I don't see it happening. Shabazz Napier-ish Smith, I'm out on both of them. I'm out on both. This looks like it's going to be a timeshare the rest of the way. I know it's hard to, to make that bold claim after just a couple of ball games, but I don't see them making a conscious effort to use one guy over the other. You might see them change roles on night to night, but both are going to be really difficult to trust. So I'm just punting them out. Someone else's headache. Atlanta's three-headed monster. I think I'm basically about ready to punt that on everybody else as well. This is something I've been worried about for multiple weeks. And constant injuries in Atlanta have basically pushed off this problem until Wednesday. Cam Reddish came back, played 26 minutes, took 11 shots. DeAndre Hunter is healthy despite the ankle stuff. He took 13 shots. Kevin Herter took 12 This, to me, is sort of the demise of Kevin Herter. Which, maybe that's not fair. I mean, maybe he hangs out inside the top 130. That's still very attainable. But if you look at the games where guys were out, whether it's Trey Young or Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter, he was taking 20 shots in some of those games. That's a lot. There was no way that was going to hold up. There were some 15s, some 17s. Some 14s, and then all of a sudden now the team gets healthy, and it's 13-13-12. 12 12 shots a game is not enough for Herter. Now with Jeff Teague in town to handle the backup point guard stuff, obviously the giant overtime games and the Trey Young sitting out games inflated his recent numbers. When they're only playing 48 minutes a night and Trey Young is healthy and Teague and Reddish and Hunter are all healthy as well, the last couple games is probably more what you're looking at, which is not enough. That's points and threes, and the turnovers were too high. Hang on if you want, but I think it's trending down, and I'm just trying to get out in front of it. I'm also not picking up Hunter or Reddish, because I think they're just looking at it from the other side. Yeah, they're trending up, but there's, they're capped the way that Herter's capped. And Herter's probably got the easier path to fantasy value, because he gets some assists. I don't know if the other guys can really put a claim to that yet, yeah, Maybe. Anyway, splitting hairs on the wrong side here. I I don't, I'm not interested in any of them at the moment. I think you're going to find more interesting guys out there, guys with more upside, unless somebody gets hurt between now and when they play their next game. That seems unlikely over the All-Star break. D'Anthony Melton is another guy I wanted to talk about on today's podcast. He showed signs of life in Memphis' last ballgame. I don't know how he missed a bunch of free throws. It's 83% on the year. Uh, But he made some shots, 12 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. Normally he'll get you a steal or more. And that's the games that you're looking for with him. Steals, rebounds, assists, good percentages. He has top 80 level upside. He also played 26 minutes in that game. He's eclipsed 20 minutes in four consecutive games despite being ice cold in three of them. And there's nowhere to go but up from here. He should be good the rest of the way. I feel like he should easily get inside the top 100, given 26 minutes a game, if that's if that's really where they're going to get him to. Do not punt on D'Anthony Melton yet. And finally, the Paul Millsap-Jeremy Grant thing going on, which, I you know, I don't have the inside track on this, but just from watching the way that teams have recently, last couple of years, handled some of their veterans coming back from relatively long-term injuries, I think they were just getting Millsap ready to go, and I believe that he will be starting after the All-Star break. I think you see this flip-flop. You'll probably end up being able to drop Jeremy Grant. But I'll tell you right now, I'm holding on to both. I have a bunch of—I actually have like two or three leagues where I have both of those guys waiting to see how this thing shakes out because I love Jeremy Grant's fantasy game. I love Paul Millsap's fantasy game when he's healthy. These are guys that both do a whole lot of everything. Nilsap was almost one of the pioneers of the do-everything fantasy game, as our ITL buddies call it. He was a stuff and things guy. Before, there were stuff and things <laughs> So, yeah, I'm holding on to both of those guys. I wish we had more clarity before the All-Star break, but we didn't get it. So just hang on and see what news we get next Thursday or whenever the hell Denver plays next. Next Friday, I think. 21st, is that their game? Or maybe they do play on Thursday. When the hell does Denver play? Somebody tell me what's going... Yeah, Friday. They play Friday the 21st. They're in Oklahoma City. I think you see Paul Millsap starting for that game. It's a guess. It's an educated guess, but it's a guess. All right, that's all the stuff from the week. That ended up taking longer than expected. Let's talk NBA All-Star festivities. I have a few betting thoughts. Not a ton of them, but uh, good things happening. I'm not going to give you any thoughts on the Rising Stars game. In all likelihood, that game will have been played by the time you listen to this podcast, so the hell with it. We'll go straight to Saturday. The Skills Challenge is the first thing on Saturday. Spencer Dinwiddie, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, Chris Middleton, Patrick Beverly, Demontis Sabonis, and Bam Adebayo. The, The big men tend to care more about this, but it really doesn't matter because the skills challenge requires really intricate passing and like walking into a three-pointer. And even though there are some big men that can shoot the three ball, first of all, they're, they're not really in this game. Adebayo and Sabonis are not really pumping threes. Siakam can hit the three, that's for sure. Usually the guys you want to look at for the skills challenge are the guys that can make the passes on the first try and can step into a three-pointer not catch and shoot but pull-up it's a different kind of game which on this list the guys that can pass and do a pull-up three Spencer Dinwiddie who is actually the betting favorite and I think for good reason should be the favorite Patrick Beverly I think is an interesting one because he's gonna be angry he's always angry about something Uh, I don't trust Shea, mostly because of the shot element of it and because he's really played a lot of shooting guard this year. Uh, Jason Tatum, I'm not sure I trust the passing part of it. Same deal for Siakam. And so if you want want a couple of wagers, I think you put a little bit on the favorite. I think Dinwiddie still has the best chance to win this thing. And then maybe you look at Patrick Beverly because, well, he's a maniac. And he hasn't pulled out of the competition yet, as far as I know even though he's dealing with an injury. So maybe he does at the last second. If so, I think your, your bet will probably get voided. Um, but he's the other guy that I would look at in this one, and I don't want anything to do with the big men. You know, they're, they're the, the, the long shots for a reason. I'm a little surprised, honestly, at how at that Pascal Siakam is above Chris Middleton. I think Middleton will have the edge on passing. Middleton is another guy I would consider in this one. So Dinwiddie, Beverly, and then my third choice would be Chris Middleton. Slam dunk contest. Dwight Howard is at plus five. By the way, uh, the odds on these things, Spencer Dinwiddie is a three to one to win it. Middleton and Beverly are both six to one to win it, depending on where you're betting. Obviously, uh, you should be doing so at mybookie.ag with the promo code today, T-O-D-A-Y. Dwight Howard plus 500 in the dunk contest. Aaron Gordon plus 125. He's the betting favorite. Derek Jones Jr. is the uh, second place expected. He's at plus 200. And Pat Connaughton, who uh, is the guy you haven't heard of in the dunk contest, he's tied with Dwight Howard at plus 500. There's going to be a nostalgia element with Dwight Howard, but at the end of the day, Aaron Gordon and Derrick Jones Jr. are just so much more high fly e. And I believe that Derrick Jones Jr. wants to win it. I think the desire is on his side. So I'm looking at DJ. DJ Jr. is my play on this one. I know he's not a long shot I don't think Pat Connaughton and Dwight Howard are going to get to that second round. Uh, this one's going to be the favorites battling it out, and I think Derek Jones cares more, and so I think that's going to get him a little bit farther. Both those guys are incredible, and then the actual All Star game. If <laughs> I have trouble bringing myself to bet on this, Team LeBron is a five point favorite, uh, money line minus two oh five. Team Giannis at plus one sixty five. Just bet the underdog with the spread if you can find it. Honestly, you just take the underdog at this point because they're going to want it more. Uh, All-Star Game MVP is the other thing I wanted to talk about. And I realized it wasn't on the page that I had pulled up here um, to discuss on this podcast. So I was going through all that stuff and thought, I'm missing something. What was it? Well, it was All-Star MVP. I think you go Anthony Davis. Without even looking at the odds, I think you go Anthony Davis. Hometown kid. You assume then Team LeBron would have to win to get you there. But you look at, basically, this. Is, you're looking at the guys that you think might do, and I hate to, to talk about this from a betting perspective, but there's also a Kobe element to it. Right, That's kind of like the Kobe Award. Who's going to be the, the maniac that plays as hard in the All-Star game as he does every other day of the season? It's Kobe. The All-Star MVP odds, Giannis plus 450, LeBron plus 500, AD plus 550. I like that one a lot. There's the LA. There's the Lakers connection. There's the Chicago hometown connection. Westbrook at plus 1,000. He's going to be a guy that obviously goes full bore. Siakam, Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, Kemba Walker. I, I don't I don't see these guys doing it. I would consider a flyer on Luka, depending on how much time you think these guys are going to see on the floor. Um, and then, you you know, you get down to these guys that are probably not going to play as much. So you, you have to generally gloss over them. So I, I would say maybe a Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, are guys that also have a little bit of a Kobe connection. So if you're looking at short odds, Anthony Davis at plus 550 is the third betting favorite I would play. That's my favorite to actually take home the trophy. And then if you're looking for uh, a little bit more of the, the emotional connection, Devin Booker at plus 3,000, Jason Tatum at plus 6,000, but he's going to have to be on the floor long enough for it to, to get to that point, and then maybe Luka. That's about as far as I'd go with that. And that's your All-Star Weekend. Next week, there's going to be a lot of mailbag stuff. We're going to talk strategy. We'll take questions. uh, Plenty of stuff to discuss, even without actual games happening. That was fun. A lot of things right now. A lot of things going on right now. I would say one more thing. Try not to make too many moves over the All-Star break, unless news breaks. You're going to end up putting a guy on waivers that... uh, you're not going to have access to pick back up because you can't get your own guy back that way. So really try to sit tight. Find some other way to occupy your fingers over the all-star break. And as I said, just enjoy it, man. Don't look for all the problems with this stuff. I know the skills challenge is kind of dumb. And the Rising Stars game is a little bit dumb. And the NBA and the celebrity game is incredibly dumb. But who cares? It's fun. Watch the best of the best of the best and enjoy yourself. Enjoy the dunk contest. Enjoy the three-point contest. Why the hell couldn't I find the three-point odds? That's what we're missing. There we go. Silly Dan. Get your head out of your rectum. Uh, Trey Young, plus 350. Joe Harris, plus 400. Davis Bertans, plus 450. Duncan Robinson, plus 550. Buddy Heald, plus 550. Devin Booker, plus 700. Zach Levine, plus 900. And Devontae Graham, plus 1,000. I don't think Trey Young wins it. I don't think Devontae Graham wins it. I don't think Joe Harris repeats I think you're looking at Davis, Duncan Robinson, Buddy Heald, Devin Booker. I also don't think Zach Levine wins it, although we know he can get pretty damn hot. Devin Booker has actually done a lot of his damage inside the three-point line this year in an odd twist. We know Buddy Heald is a great shooter. I mean, I think you go the direction of the guys that people haven't heard about. I'm putting my money on Davis and Duncan Robinson. But this was a tough one because the desire element you kind of have to take out of the mix. They all want to win. And they're all going to shoot 25 balls. Oh, wait, they changed it a little bit this year, I think, right? It's like a special green ball that's way the hell out. So Trey Young will have the advantage on the 35-footers the, the or whatever the hell that is. Uh, but all these guys can shoot from out there. We've seen it now. Robinson can, Bertans can, Heald can. I actually think that Booker is at a little bit of a disadvantage because he has gotten so much more efficient with his shot selection. Give me Bertans and give me Robinson. 450 and 550. A couple of guys to fling a shackle on for the three-point contest. And now, officially, we are done for All-Star Weekend. Back with you on Monday. No reverse chronological lightning round to go over. We'll just talk about the results from All-Star Weekend. And again, we'll start taking some questions. Have a little fun on the podcast next week with a couple of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, some slightly shorter shows. Opportunity to rest my voice and your ears. And then we're back at it with NBA games starting on Thursday. But again... We are with you all week, Monday through Friday, even over the All-Star break, and through the whole offseason. We we don't miss a day here at Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vesperis. Drop a five-star review on the podcast. Hey, I wanted to give a quick mention. Uh, Polly D, remember I read your review on air a couple days ago? It looks like the review got changed. Uh, the number of stars went down. I don't know if that's something you intended to do. Did I, I hope I didn't upset you, um, but if you can uh, take a look at that, I'd really appreciate it. Shout out, by the way, to a bunch of new reviews that uh, popped up here over the last couple of days. Um, Oh, never mind, Paulie. You got that fixed. Thanks, man. Uh, Big Dreams wrote, I'm a hardcore fantasy football player. First year playing basketball, and now thanks to you, Dan, I'm in first place. Thanks, man. Well done. Sam says, Dan, you feel like a brother to me, (laughs) and as good brothers do. I put up with your long-winded tangents and lectures, and you put up with me mooching free fantasy advice and not sharing it with anyone else as if I'm living rent-free in your home. (laughs) But don't worry. One day your younger brother will grow, mature, and pay you back in turn. I will never forget your insistence on drafting Chris Paul, who's helping me sit pretty in first place in both leagues. See, this is what I'm talking about, guys. Write something silly, and I will happily read it. Jiggins says, This has become my go-to information source for fantasy basketball news. I love the game-by-game breakdown as well as the analysis. Would love to hear a little more about points leagues. Cool. Will do. Appreciate you guys dropping some feedback in this way. Constructive criticism is always appreciated. Thank you for the new reviews. Uh, love the fact that they're rolling in right now. So please do it. Grab your grab your friend's phone. Do it on theirs. Do it on iTunes. Whatever it takes. This is how we continue to grow this podcast at the insane clip that it's been going to this point. I am Dan Vespers Enjoy All-Star Weekend at Dan vespers on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, hootball hoop ball presentation. Talk to you all on Monday. So long, everybody.